It's News Talk Tonight on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. And I'm Tamara Cherry, your host du jour. Jim Richards is officially on vacation. Yay for Jim, Jim. I'm sure you're listening to us wherever you are. We love you, buddy. Uh, I'm so happy to be sitting in this seat tonight. We have an awesome show coming your way. Of course, we're going to be starting off the show in the next segment with The Rundown, where we hear from some of the best and brightest pundits around talking about some of the biggest stories of the day. Many of them you may have already heard about and you'd like to hear some more opinions on them and some of them you might not have heard of at all. So be sure to tune in for that coming up at 720. Uh, Also, a few segments that I am like really pumped about tonight. So I had uh, one of those like rare opportunities that journalists get. You know, you see them posting on social media. I interviewed my hero today. Well, guess what? I I actually interviewed like one of my lifelong heroes. And this is somebody I have known for my entire life, uh, is actually the reason that I went into journalism school. Although at the time that I made the choice, I thought that I'd be going and writing for snowboarding magazines and not becoming a crime reporter in Toronto for almost 15 years. Um, But this is a person who is um, equal parts, just amazing, uh, you know, compassionate, hardworking and frustrating. And you'll know what I mean when you hear the segment. Um, this person, the reason I'm talking about this person today is because they are about to retire after 45 years in medicine. And oh yeah, I forgot to mention this person is my dad. So I mentioned a moment ago that I'm coming at you from Regina, Saskatchewan. Well, this was my very first in-studio, in-home studio interview, and it was with my dad. And um, I'm just so excited for this conversation Um, he has a lot of really interesting perspectives. And one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to him on the radio was not only because he's had such a, an enormous career, not many people can say they've been in the same job for more than four decades. I know I did a couple of stories over the years about some investigators with Toronto police or senior officers who had, who had retired, you know, after very storied careers. But, uh, not only has my dad been in that job for so long, but he is, one of the probably the most one of the most you know respected anesthesiologists in the country certainly in um Saskatchewan and in western canada and he is respected not only for his skills as an anesthetist in putting people to sleep making sure they stay alive and then waking them back up um but also for his heart and for his mentorship he is known as an incredible mentor and he has a great lesson um, to share about, you know, how you can value a career. So if you are starting out in a career and you're thinking about what success looks like for you in 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, this is a conversation you won't want to mess. And just everybody listen to this conversation because it's my dad and I'm really excited for it. Uh, also coming up on the show, we are going to be talking with a code breaker this is a guy who is in Winnipeg. He He's a University of Manitoba employee who on his own time likes to crack codes. And about four years ago, he came across a code that was thought to be, you know, one of the most significant unsolved codes in the world at the time. And he he tried to get to the bottom of it. He couldn't. Well, guess what? 
after nearly a decade of code makers, code breakers around the world trying to crack this code, this man in Winnipeg, Manitoba has recently cracked the code. It was a code that was found in an antique dress from the 1880s that was purchased by uh, a costume buyer, costume collector. And this code, this secret code was found inside a secret, a hidden pocket inside this dress. I just, I love this story. I find it so fascinating, the journey that this man took to crack this code. Uh, again, another segment you're not going to want to miss. Um, and then we're going to be talking about what was going on uh, with our federal government today, the new measures that they have announced to help Canadians with family members in Gaza get those family members to Canada. I don't know how they're going to get them out of Gaza. Because last I checked, it's not an easy thing getting out of Gaza. But, um, you know, our, our federal government now is saying if you have family there, I guess if they can get out, uh, we are going to try to find a spot for them here in Canada, make it easier for them to get here. Uh, I'll also be speaking about a story. There's a, there's a guy in the news today, 71 years old, who spent nearly 50 years in prison in Oklahoma for uh, murder that an Oklahoma judge ruled this week he did not commit. Nearly 50 years in prison. Think that's crazy that it, that it you know, this is like a one-off? Think again. I'm going to be speaking with uh, one of the top legal scholars in the country. His name is Kent Roach. He's a professor of law at the University of Toronto, uh, and he's the author of an incredible book that came out earlier this year, year called Wrongfully Convicted. I read it earlier this year, and um, I found it, absolutely abhorrent how many wrongful convictions take place, not only in the United States, but right here in Canada. So I'll be speaking with Kent about that. Okay. We got a lot more than that coming up after the break, but first I'd like to play a clip for you from Seinfeld and then I'll explain why. Oh man, we're stopping. <laughs> oh, this is great. This is what I need. Just what I need. <sighs> okay. Take it easy. I'm sure it's nothing. Probably rats on the track. They're stopping for rats. Oh, God, it's so crowded. How could there be so many people? I feel something rubbing against me. These disgusting animals. These people should be in a cage. We are in a cage. What if I miss the wedding? I got the ring. What'd they do? You can't get married without a ring. Oh, I can't breathe. I feel faint. Okay, take it easy. It'll start moving soon. Think about people in concentration camps, what they went through. And the hostages. What would you do if you were a hostage? Think about that. This is nothing. No, it's not nothing. It's something. It's a nightmare. Help me. Move it. Come on, move this. <laughs> well, maybe if you've been stuck on a subway train or uh, on a street car, well, streetcar, no, easier to get off. Same as same with the bus. But if you've been stuck on public transit anywhere, maybe you can relate to what Elaine was going through on Seinfeld there. And guess what? So can our producer, Tony. Tony, what oh, happened today? All the time. But today, I don't know. I just made the best Tony, of it. Tony, I have you, Tony. Yeah. Can you? There you go. I'm, uh, yeah, oh, there we go. Yeah, hey, Tony. Go. I, I thought you were still stuck on the subway. I'm like, yeah, I thought I was Tony for was a second. in the station. <laughs> yeah, I was for a second. I mean, usually it is. It is really that frustrating. But today, I don't know. I was just in a good mood. And I I just paid my fare. I got on the subway. And all of a sudden, you know, the typical TTC message <laughs> on the subway. And this woman's looking at me and saying, what did they just say? And I said, I don't know. But whatever it is, it's probably my fault. 
because it turns out that every time I step on a subway train, it goes out of service or there's a delay <laughs> of some kind. And she started laughing at the fact that, A, I blamed myself, and B, I was actually saying that I, I experience these delays often. And I just... And do you, Tony? Do I, you experience I, I, I these do experience often? them quite often. It's, 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 yeah, I'm surprised at how often this this has been happening. But today was like just how one, how long is your subway trip generally? What part of the city? Well, are you generally, from so generally? usually I walk to work, but today I I was uh, feeling a little like I'm going to ride the subway in. And depending on the time, I mean, by rights, I should be able to make it to work in 15 minutes. Um, on average, it's about 30 to 35. And I I, I swear, like. Uh, um, more than not, when uh, I get onto the subway, there's a delay of some kind somewhere. Jeez so, Louise. So how long yeah. was the delay today, Tony? D- today Tedesco, was about in uh, Toronto. 10 minutes, uh, 12 minutes. And I just kept making jokes about it. You know, they finally came on and said, uh, there's uh, an unruly passenger in the train ahead of us. So we are holding here. And I just out loud said he's probably upset because of the delays. And everybody but, um, started laughing. Sh- and it, uh, yeah, I just that's <laughs> what I kept doing. And I spoke to this very nice lady who sat down and she actually reminded me of the whole Seinfeld episode. And so we oh, talked a little it. bit about that. And then some guy pulled out two iPhones instead of one. And I said, I'd be really what? impressed if you pulled out a third phone, but then I'd wonder where you're getting them. And I checked my pockets like <laughs> animated. I was very animated you were on about fire, it. You Tony. You were yeah, the most popular and, guy on the train. And, and uh, I think I made everyone's delay today just a little bit better. So. Oh, I love it. What a wonderful story to end that segment on. All right. Coming up after the break, we have got the rundown talking through a whole bunch of the big stories of the day with John Tory Jr. and Kareem Asad. I'm Tamara Cherry in for Jim Richards. You're listening to News Talk Tonight. This is News Talk Tonight on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. And I am your host du jour, Tamara Cherry, and this this is the segment, people, that everybody tunes in for, right? I hope you keep tuning in throughout the show, but this is where we bring together the best and brightest pundits around to talk about the biggest stories of the day. This is the rundown, of course, on News Talk tonight. And tonight, those pundits du jour are Karima Saad, lawyer, political commentator, and journalist, and just one of my favorite people around Karima, might I say. And John John Tory Jr., somebody who is vying for that same title of one of my favorite people around, airline industry expert, News Talk 1010 commentator. And uh, from what I was understanding in the... um, in the commercial break there, a very funny guy. But I don't think you're going to be able to get any jokes in, John, because the headlines today are just, you know, doom and awfulness and abuse and refugees and everything. So we'll see if we can find somewhere for you to get a joke in, but it might not happen. Um, All right, you guys, let's talk about Gaza. Uh, The federal government announcing today that new measures are coming to help Canadians who have family in Gaza. So I mean, when I saw this headline, I was like, all right, okay, they're going to help them get out of Gaza. What are they going to do? Well, they're offering, they're going to be offering three-year visas to Canadians' extended family in Gaza starting in 2024. I didn't see anything in this story. Like, they've got all these different measures of, you know, if you are somebody who has arrived from Gaza since October 7th, then, you know, we're going to try to find a way to help you stay. If you somehow get here from Gaza and you have a relative here, we're going to let you in the country. But I didn't see anything in there about actually helping people get out of Gaza. Karima, you are, I should also note, Palestinian. 
you don't have family in Gaza, but obviously you're paying very close attention to the news there. Do you see this as a significant announcement? Because I mean, people can't even get get out of their homes and their neighborhoods safely in many circumstances, let alone across the one border that is sometimes open. Well, you, yeah, you touch on the key point, which is how does that travel from Gaza to Canada take place? And, you know, it took a long time to even get Canadian citizens evacuated. Um, and right now the situation on the ground, uh, as far as transport or exit is quite dire. So this is something. Uh, and I think that families have been lobbying and making, you know, significant efforts to reach politicians and, and push for these changes. Um, but the practical logistics are a missing part of this plan. John, is there anything that the government could be saying to make me feel better about this today or make you feel better? How are you feeling? I, I feel the same way as Karima in that um, we've seen our government step up many times before and say a lot of the right things about helping people who are in trouble. Uh, but then it it just I'm not going to say it gets worse for them when they get when they get here, if and how they get here. But more just there just never seems to be a plan to then make sure that those three years are have in them uh, a, a way for these people to be uh, have some help and feel better about themselves. And also a way for those who want to to return uh, should their situation become better. It just almost seems like we, we do the very, very. Uh, wonderful initial action of saying, come one, come all. And then when they get here, we sort of say, well, good luck. Welcome to the land of prosperity, but here's nothing you need to survive. And yeah. uh, we just, we just need a better plan. That is such, oh, there's, I mean, there's so many good points in there, John Tory Jr. Um, but you're, you're like, you're just, you're so right. And there's so many issues piled into this issue, of course, like this, this, everything going on in the Middle East, there's so much nuance involved and there's so much nuance involved when it comes to even welcoming many of these people are going to be so traumatized, welcoming them into our country. Where are they going to stay? Are they going to, is there going to be room for them at a shelter or is there going to be enough housing for them? How are we going to address their trauma? I mean, I guess, I guess we need to get them here first before we talk about that. But Karima, what would you like to hear from the government about how they are going to help these people once they arrive in Canada? Yeah, there seems to be sparse resources available and competition. Um, I'm based in, in Toronto, so that's what I'm seeing here. But as far as shelter space goes, um, you know, even Canadian citizens, um, current residents, are vying for space that doesn't exist. And so it is problematic to invite people or allow them to come in and then not have corresponding resources. Uh, and this is a question, I think, of resource distribution and allocation and, uh, you know, to what extent are our systems people-centric and where is the money coming from and where can savings be found. Yeah. And you're touching on something that's been a big issue in the news, like in recent months, uh, polls, various polls showing that support for immigration is waning. And in part, that is because we have such a housing shortage in Canada, and especially in those big centers like Toronto, where you are, Karima. Um, actually, Justin, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was in Toronto today uh, to discuss the refugee crisis with 
uh, Toronto Mayor Olivia Chow amid calls for Ottawa to step up. And here's uh, clip 1Z, if you could play that. Uh, this is uh, the Prime Minister talking about Toronto and uh, the housing crisis. Families from around the world come to Toronto to build a better life. It's a great city. And if we want to keep it great, we have to make homes more affordable. And it's worth noting, too, that the current mayor, Olivia Chow, uh, she what her family was one of those families that came here uh, as refugees and many years ago. But a lot has changed since that time. And now there's a lot fewer houses available, a lot fewer homes available. Uh, they are not affordable at all. Uh, John Tory Jr., um, what did you think of the announcements, which you haven't exactly gotten into today? I can run through them in a moment. But what did you think of, I guess, uh, the prime minister showing up in Toronto today, first of all, to talk to the mayor about solving this housing crisis amid the news of all these refugees coming from uh, the Middle East? Very. I have the same reaction, actually, as I had in a, in a, in a much more in a much less acute and much more prolonged way that it's really great that they show up and make this big announcement and it's funding that Toronto needs. It's probably solving a problem that started or starting to solve a problem from about eight years ago as a reference point in terms of where we are at the focal point of housing. What the city really needs from the federal government and people across the country won't like to hear this, but Toronto is special. It's a place that attracts both people with aspirations and people with challenges. What Toronto needs is a reliable and more permanent funding formula from the senior governments to help them accommodate land and also develop and, and help people who come here both as refugees, immigrants, whatever. And the final thing I'll say to this, I think that a lot of that polling is flawed because I think a lot of Canadians, uh, whether they've been here long or short, fundamentally don't understand the difference between immigration, refugees, asylum, et cetera, at students. They just don't understand what all those different channels represent. But really, we need a permanent solution, not just this thing where the feds show up after they're begged for months and give a band-aid. Yeah, and it might be worth noting on that on that front, John, too, that um, when it comes to the housing crisis, who are the people that are that are building a lot of these houses in the construction industry? It is built very largely um, on the backs of immigrants, and we also have a retirement um, crisis upon us in the construction industry, where there's a whole bunch of baby boomers who are about to retire, and how are we going to fill those jobs? But apparently people don't want um, immigration going up. Karima, so of course the Liberal government was uh, in, in town in Toronto today talking about the $100 million or so that they'll be handing over to the city to help build more houses. This was, of course, a promise that uh, the, the government had made to the city in July to offset additional costs related to providing shelter for refugees. And the mayor says that, you know, thank you, but we need more. What are your thoughts on this, Karima? I, I think it's true. Um, just the numbers are that we need more. Uh, and, and of course, there are all these interconnections between different stories that we're looking at, right? And the way that we treat housing as... A, a commodity, um, you know, it, while it's also essential for human thriving success, it's a basic human need. Dignity. Um, right? And so th there's this tension. And if we look at who owns what, uh, who, you know, is able to charge what, it the extent to which our economy is based on a lot of speculation and bubbles that cannot last forever. There, there are these connections between issues and larger systemic issues, like problems underlying 
that, Mm -hmm. you know, a hundred million dollars sadly isn't going to fix. Yeah. Which is just crazy. Right. Um, I'm Tamara Cherry and for Jim Richards, you're listening to the rundown Kareem Asad, John Tory Jr. We'll be back after the break. News Talk Tonight continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. And I'm your host du jour, Tamara Cherry, filling in for my good pal, Jim Richards, who is on vacay now. We hope you're enjoying some sunny weather, sunny and warm weather wherever you are, Jim. Uh, This is, of course, the rundown, the time of day that we talk to the best and brightest pundits around about the biggest news stories of the day. Tonight, those pundits are Kareem Asad, lawyer, political commentator and journalist, and John Tory Jr., airline industry expert and news talk commentator. All right, guys. Um, you know, this is this story is so timely when we consider what's going on in the Middle East right now, because if we turn our minds back to 2009 under the then conservative government, uh, there was something called the second generation cutoff that came into effect. If we go back a few years before that, we'll find out why this was this was a bill that was introduced after a mass evacuation of Lebanese Canadians took place in the summer of 2006 in the midst of a month-long a month-long war with Israel in Lebanon. So a bunch of Lebanese Canadians came out and basically the evacuation, which cost a lot of money, of course, uh, led to questions regarding the legitimacy of the evacuees' status as Canadians, and with some speculating that some of these evacuees were, quote, citizens of convenience. So uh, the second-generation cutoff basically said that you know, when Canadian born citizens have children abo- abroad, uh, their kids are automatically considered Canadian citizens. However, when the generation born abroad has their own kids outside of Canada, those children no longer have access to citizenship. So that is what we're referring to as second generation cutoff. I swear I'm going to let you guys talk. This is just such a complicated issue. I wanted to give some preamble. So, why are we talking about this today? Well, an Ontario judge has ruled that citizenship denial for foreign-born Canadians is unconstitutional uh, and has even gone so far as to to tell the the government to basically act on this and has has taken, I think there were seven families involved in a lawsuit that was brought before the courts has basically said, you know, like address this now for these handful of families and get them the citizenship that they deserve. So, uh, Karima, is this the right move? Should should we be granting citizenship back to people who spend their lives abroad, Canadians who spend their lives abroad and have children abroad? Should their kids be Canadian citizens? With the caveat that I haven't read the decision in detail. I basically just read the whole thing, Karima. (laughs) I was going on and on. Continue. No, I I mean, but I like I so I don't know all of the reasoning, but I do Mm -hmm. know that one of the fact circumstances um, was a lady who was in Hong Kong, got stuck during the pandemic, was pregnant and couldn't come back to Canada to give birth. And so whenever you have any kind of blanket rule like this if there's no room for discretion or consider like extenuating circumstances um that may have played a factor in this decision um and also the idea of protect protected grounds um including national origin and sex um the the fact that this may differentially affect women 
that was all taken into consideration. So we'll see how the government reacts um, to this and whether there's an appeal or if they see the same logic and change policy course. I mean, given that this is something that came in under the Conservatives and we now have a Liberal government, I can't see the government fighting it too much. But John Tory, where do you, John Tory Jr., sorry, where do you sit on this? I, John is fine, just so we're clear. But I, I John, um, John Jr., you know, Jr. John, go. <laughs> I think I think from reading the decision, I think one thing is clear. And you even highlighted that the, the woman who uh, was mentioned in the decision had a very extreme case. And I, and I just we just have to be very careful to make precedent setting legal decisions on the basis of extreme cases. She should have been accommodated regardless of what the law is. And then the next step to that is we have to make a decision as a country. And many other countries operate on this principle. If you are born to at least one Canadian abroad, your children are entitled to Canadian citizenship. And, it, and that has been the way it has been. And I know that there's been there was a change to make it not automatic. And a lot and probably about 50 percent of countries out there, it's not automatic, but you can apply. Um, and, and there are many countries, even including European nations, that allow this sort of application, even if you've never touched soil. The United States allows this, too. But we need a clear and consistent path to citizenship for children of our citizens. Otherwise, you just deny really what is essentially the Canadians exploring international careers. And it ties back into the whole ability of Canada to project itself internationally and to allow its citizens to go wherever they want for fear that, you know, uh, they won't be able to have kids and have their kids be Canadian just because mm -hmm. they happen to be two generations removed. Yeah. And this this decision speaks to one of those paths to citizenship. Um, and you're talking about having a clear path to citizenship as somebody whose husband went through the immigration process first to become a permanent resident of Canada and then a Canadian citizen. There are so many parts of the immigration system that I can say there is anything but a clear path. You talk to one person on the phone one day, you get one answer. You talk to another person from Immigration Canada the next day and you get a completely different answer. That place is a mess. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of this uh, court mm -hmm. decision from the federal government. Um, all right. To Montreal now. The, the Montreal-based company uh, that owns and operates adult entertainment websites, including Pornhub.com, that is definitely the most recognizable, has reached what is called a deferred prosecution agreement with the U.S. Justice Department over its ties to an alleged sex trafficking operation. So uh, this is a company called Alu Holdings, formerly known as MindGeek. Uh, they're set to appear in a Brooklyn federal court. They were set to appear today uh, to talk about this agreement. Basically, what this agreement means is that the criminal charge against the company of engaging in monetary transactions derived from unlawful activity will be dismissed after three years, as long as the company improves its compliance protocols. You guys, I mean, as somebody who worked a lot in her career as a crime reporter on the issue of sex trafficking, when I heard about the stories coming out of Pornhub in, pre in recent years, and people basically being pimped out on these different websites. I mean, it infuriated me and I would like to see more of a deferred agreement for something like this. John, where where do you stand on it? Uh, you know, a DPA is usually entered into when the prosecuting agency recognizes that they're going to have difficulty actually securing the charge. So I know we all like to say we'd like to see more, but at the end of the day, it's usually a sign that the case is going to fall apart and that they're going to see better, uh, the, the interests of justice better served by ensuring that the corporation behaves themselves. Really, though, what I would like to see is, uh, you know, we can't live in a world where internet pornography and exploitation are going to go away. So rather than doing what governments seem to be doing all around the world, which is focusing on who the consumers are, 
I would like to see a much stronger legislative approach to focusing on who are the producers and distributors of legitimate pornography, just like we do with alcohol and cigarettes. Anything mm-hmm. that can harm people, we make sure that the people providing it to market are responsible, safe, and compliant. And we can do this here in Canada because, like you mentioned, ALO, MindGeek, it's one of the largest producers and distributors of pornography in the world. And we have the ability to legislate right here and now that their sources, their actors, their whatever you call them, their producers are legitimate, vetted, and not being exploited. And that's where I'd like to see things focused. But but are there not so many more um, gray areas because of the activity taking place online? Like we're not talking about cigarettes being bought in, in a convenience store or, you know, going to the LCBO and buying a bottle of wine. We're talking about millions of users around the world who are using this platform and, and to upload, you know, at times criminal uh, activity. Karima, you're a lawyer. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, there's a like a jurisdictional complexity that you point out because of the online nature, um, but you know there can still be vetting processes, uh, requirements that need to be satisfied. Um, the takeaway, I think, from this deferred prosecution agreement is the forward-looking approach to how things will be done differently and better and more ethically in the future. Um, so it's for sure complicated, and the internet poses a lot of issues when it comes to criminal law overall um, but that's no reason to throw our hands up in the air it it requires an adaptive approach yeah i i just don't know how confident i am that that will happen i mean governments around the world have shown how ineffective they are in keeping up with big tech tech and i would and i would consider um something like pornhub to be big tech tech, but let's just see. Let's be more positive heading into the break. Uh, you're listening to News Talk tonight. I'm Tamara Cherry in for Jim Richards, and I've got John Tory Jr. and Karima Sad joining me on the rundown. We've got one more uh, segment coming up after the break and more happy, happy, joy, joy uh, stories to come. Right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wonderful. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. You're listening to News Talk Tonight on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. And I'm your host, Azure Tamara Cherry, in for Jim Richards. Thanks for listening. You're listening to The Rundown. We have John Tory Jr. and Kareem Asad on our panel of pundits tonight. And you guys, we were just talking off air on how toxic and awful of a place the internet can be and social media. And sure enough, this week, um, today, in fact, uh, social media was blowing up over uh, and an editorial cartoon that appeared in the Toronto Sun newspaper. And Karima, uh, you were you were telling me offline that you've got some thoughts on this. So why don't you just start out by by talking us through this cartoon and what your reaction was to it? Yeah. So for anyone who hasn't seen it, and uh, and I'll point out that Karima is also an editorial cartoonist, very talented yeah, one of that. Go ahead. I think I I, I have great uh, illustrators I work with. Thank you. Um, so yeah, for those who haven't seen it, it's a, a comic that basically depicts um, Ukrainian President Zelensky uh, pickpocketing Joe Biden and Zelensky's features are caricatured. Uh, and that includes an exaggeration of his nose that kind of harkens images of 
anti-Semitic propaganda. Uh, and and that's been sort of the the uproar. Um, but, you know, there's also the political element to this cartoon, which is unpopular um, among a lot of people, not universal, but the combination of those outrage uh, factors has, you know, upset people. And I think that the Toronto Sun walking it back and saying that, you know, we're not going to work with this particular cartoonist anymore. Um, I, I find that an interesting response. It's clearly in reaction to um, the public roasting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the difficulty with comics and cartoons and caricatures is that when you have these exaggerated features um, and you're, it, it often comes across as racist. And so racism has ruined that aspect of humor it's something um i have to think about and we have to work through whenever we have a subject who is a a real person or a a figment um because it it you know it it can be avoided if it's done thoughtfully and I, i think that there was just a lack of perhaps thought that went into every step of this particular comic Krima, do you think that it would have been more acceptable if the nose wasn't so big I think that, yeah, that that's something that triggered people um, and being mindful that the exaggeration of features, yes, it is inherent to a caricature, um, but there's also a history that has to be considered and that takes precedence, I think. So I think without the nose, there's also, you know, the implication of theft and stealing and money and that being an anti-Semitic trope. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that less compelling, um, just given that this was a metaphor for American aid to Ukraine and President Zelensky has been criticized for the use of funds where money ends up. So I find that part of it less compelling. I think it's the visual that really set people off. Yeah. um, And John, you know, the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, speaking in Ottawa on Thursday said that uh, today said that you know, we need to make sure that we're calling out incidents of anti-Semitism wherever they rear their heads. And on that specifically, he said the Toronto Sun editorial cartoon, which promoted, which published the worst kind of anti-Semitic content was absolutely unacceptable. Should we have heard from the prime minister on this? I think so. But, you know, I'll take the take. The anti-Semitism to me, the striking one isn't the cartoon, although there were, like Karima said, there were just tired old tropes in there mm-hmm. that are often used in an anti-Semitic way. There's better ways to do parody. The anti-Semitism really, and, and, and many groups, it's not just Jewish people fe- experience this type of discrimination. Today it was anti-Semitic. It's that the cartoon got all the way through to print and mm-hmm. nobody stopped it and said, what yeah. are we doing? And that's that's where you see it. That's the real problem. And I think that, like, I don't agree with the prime minister on everything, but I think that's what he's calling out. I, at least I hope it was. If he's trying to score a point or two against the sun, good for him, that's short-lived. But it really, if he's trying to point out the fact that this made it all the way through into print, you know, there's an editor that reviews that paper at, you know, midnight before it goes to print. And she would have seen that there uh, mm-hmm. and typeset and laid it out and it made it all the way through. And now they're having to walk it back, which is the right thing. That to there, me is there, more... There's been also, I'll point out, like deplorable content that has made its way into other big newspapers, including, you know, the Toronto Star, where they've had to publish uh, 
public editor co uh, columns talking about how, you know, the proper scrutiny wasn't given. And I will say as somebody who worked in newspapers and who worked at actually both newspapers uh, for a number of years when I was in Toronto, at the Toronto Sun in particular, they were so short staffed when I was there. And I can only imagine how much uh, thinner their staffing is since I left uh, many years ago, more well, well over a decade ago. So I, I can't help but feel like that probably has something to play into it too, just given how they walked it back. All right, guys, um, hockey players in Newfoundland and Labrador, when they return to the ice in the new year, they are going to be facing a new rule that uh, will eliminate post-game handshakes. There was a memo that went out from Hockey Newfoundland's uh, Minor Council Executive Committee that basically said that there were a number of incidents that have led to the suspension of players and coaches that apparently happened during these handshakes. Uh, John, is it okay to get rid of these handshakes to avoid that? Like, I feel like that's one of the nicest parts of the game. Yeah, Usually. this is, I, I'm not a big sports person, player, fan. This is so stupid. This is like one of the moments of civility we have just no it's it's so dumb to get rid of this we should be encouraging these types of moments and outreach between players and i i always like seeing it when they can set aside the competitive part of what they're doing and just recognize that they, they're all players in the same sport and so if their sport loses credibility they all lose in the long run so i just think this is ridiculous karima what are your thoughts yeah, it's kind of a funny reaction you know there's a lack of sportsmanship so we are going to take away the little ceremony or symbolism of sportsmanship to encourage that. So it's counterproductive, I think, in in that sense. Um, like, it's a big part of playing sports, right? It's not just the physical activity for the kids. It's the lessons that you're supposed to gain along the way about teamwork and cooperation and, uh, you know, losing with dignity, all of that. Uh, mm -hmm. And if we take away the handshake, which I, I don't know if it's a, <laughs> a done deal I guess so I, I don't I again I'm not a hockey player and I don't have kids in hockey but it seems counterproductive John I know we just got a minute left here but <clears throat> excuse me I'm having a coughing attack you wanted to comment on the story out of Toronto where there's some people who are call calling for an extra tax on uh, a new tax on real estate profits of course the government has got tried to go after real estate investors that are leaving properties vacant and all that stuff. But I mean, what do you make of this? I just, I always like to say that there's, there really is only one tax there. So when you put a tax on any product, all it does is increase prices. And anyone who disagrees with me, I defy them to come up with a time when that tax was imposed and prices went down. The solution to our housing problems is to have a greater variety of housing and an increase overall in densification, especially in areas where people want to live, including areas near transit, near cultural attractions, and near social services. And that and arbitrary taxes in the blind will do nothing but hurt people who aren't already in the market, because for everybody else, it just gets priced in. Yeah, couldn't agree more. All right, John Tory Jr., Kareem Asad, our pundits du jour. Thank you very much for your time today, lady and gentlemen. Sorry we couldn't get into any of your jokes tonight, John. Too serious of topics. Uh, yes. I am in. I'm Tamara Cherry in for Jim Richards coming up after the break. We are going to be speaking with an immigration lawyer about uh, the story we were referring to earlier about the new measures announced by the federal government to help Canadians who have family in Gaza.